Welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. Some of you may know that I have a deep interest in tech and media, particularly as it influences college sports. I've written about data privacy issues and talked with thought leaders in that space. The acceleration of change in this area can be overwhelming, but for senior campus leaders who have to manage both the financial and legal implications of allowing increasingly unique tech tools and experiences on their campuses, they just simply need to know more. We're in luck with our guest today as I'm joined by Kathleen Hessert. Kathleen's talents include a strategic communications expert, speaker, consultant, speechwriter, social media influencer, and researcher with a deep focus on sports and entertainment and Gen Z. Kathleen and I have known each other for some time and when she posted an outstanding video, an astounding video, on her LinkedIn page involving University of South Carolina head women's basketball coach Dawn Staley and her player Aaliyah Boston using augmented reality in a recruiting pitch, I knew we had to have a conversation for the podcast. So Kathleen, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here, Karen. Thank you very much for having me. So let's start with that iconic video. It's really remarkable. <laughs> our, our audience needs a brief mental picture of what, what it is and tell us what was going on. All right, so this is so cool. I mean, <laughs> I'm in awe. I'm in awe of so many things here. I am going to be 70 years old in March. Wow. And so I know I am um, not the norm. But I am fascinated with learning and learning what the next thing is. And the metaverse is definitely it. And part of the metaverse, if you think about um, AR and gaming on, you know, augmented reality with the filters on Snapchat and the, and, um, and gaming and avatars, the people you make, the characters you make that represent yourself, um, that all is, uh, is foreign to many of us older people, but it is so native to Gen Z and now Gen Alpha, the younger generation than Gen Z. And so holograms are the epitome um, so what the video is, literally, um, they have weird names, like volumetric video, like what does that mean to anybody? But the reality is, um, I, I wanted to take some iconic people and influencers in sports and take them right into the home of the consumer. So with a cell phone, with a smartphone, and no extra software or technology or anything, Coach Dawn Staley and Aaliyah Boston on her team literally can sit on your desk right in front of you, can walk around your room and talk to you about how you've got to team up with everybody around you to make us all safer through this COVID pandemic. So it is web 3.0, PSA, state of the art that comes to your phone and 
if you think about the displaced fans, there are no more displaced fans in the world when you can bring this technology right onto someone's phone. And I just happen to think that the best investment for it right now was to get the best of the best of sports and what sports is about. And that's teaming up to, to, you know, to go to new heights, to, to break down barriers, to, to win, to compete and, and use this hologram, this augmented reality technology um, to help fight COVID and to talk to Gen Z where they are, you know, they're not going to turn on Good Morning America. They're not <laughs> going to turn on the Today Show. Uh, maybe Trevor Noah at, at night, you know, but, right, right. but they don't get their news where uh, the older generations get their news. Uh, and so I thought if, if we're going to, while the schools are, are at the core of of everybody's concerns right now in terms of COVID and its spread because they're petri, petri dishes. How do we get to the kids and activate the kids to create a movement of their own? To when, when, when we are thinking about movements these days, the most powerful movements, many of them and many of the biggest and best were started by kids, Absolutely. were started by Gen Z. Absolutely. Talk Greta Thunberg and climate change. And, and then the 16 year old is nominated for the Nobel prize. You know, we're talking about Marjorie Stoneman high school and gun control and 16 and 17 year olds influencing presidents and Congress, et cetera, about gun control. When we talk about George Floyd, it was a 17 year old girl who took the video that ignited a nation for good or bad when kids aren't relegated to just listening to adults telling them what to do and they say you know we have power and influence and numbers to to change the world and make it the way we want it to have when they pick up that mantle and they run with it man there's no stopping them so that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, and it's so cool. And, and I immediately could see the evolution of this in higher ed. I mean, yes, you have it in a sports place, but I imagined teachers in classrooms not needing there, not needing people to sit in there, but being able to engage with them and feel connected with them. Certainly I saw it from a recruiting perspective, you know, with being able to be in multiple living rooms within, within a couple of hours of each other all over the country. You have a deep interest in everything Gen Z. You have really focused on that. And higher ed leaders also are trying to figure out how to reach uh, Gen Z. And they share that same interest as they begin to recruit the most technologically savvy students in history. Give us a brief summary of some of the insights you've gleaned from focusing on this group. So about five years ago, um, I'm a, a news junkie because I, my first career was as an anchor reporter and talk show host for CBS and NBC. So once a news junkie, always a news, news junkie. <laughs> and I read everything under the sun because I love the process of learning um, and then doing something with what I learn. And I'm reading uh, about brands 
talking about millennials. And I'm like, get over them. If you don't understand millennials by now, you never will. And I'm thinking, you know, you have to look at what's next. And what's next was Gen Z. And the very few mentions of Gen Z that I that I could see or hear were all dusty old people like me, you know, or, or my age, literally talking about them from the second and third perspective. And, and the research was generally two to five years old, which is like other age, you know? <laughs> um, and, and I'm thinking there's no, someone needs to give, to bring out the authentic voices of Gen Z because they're not monolithic in any way, shape or form. And, and build bridges between brands and that generation. And so I literally gave $2,500 donation to the High School of the Arts in Charlotte, North Carolina and said, give me 12 of your best kids. I wanna sit down with them every week for them to just tell me what's happening within their generation. And so we went from one school to six schools to literally becoming part of the CTE curriculum in the 11th largest school district in the nation. And what that came down to was that I could do research with over a thousand kids, any kind of research that I wanted that was reasonable. So, you know, what do you think about robotics? Where are you spending your money? How are you making your money? Are you doing internships? You know, um, how do you, where do you get your news? And I would conduct eight to 10 surveys, uh, original surveys a year as part of the classroom and beyond within the Charlotte Mecklenburg school system in North Carolina. And I would have surveys, the respondents anywhere from, I think low end was 640 some um, respondents to well over a thousand respondents of real kids in our We Are Gen Z think tank, telling us important information directly from their mouths. And then when the New York Times or Business Line or, or an entity wanted, or, or the Interactive Advertising Bureau wanted to, he wanted to really understand something about Gen Z, whether it was about their opinions about music, technology, education, whatever it was, um, I could give them those kids mm. who could articulate what they really thought. So it wasn't um, stale research and it wasn't somebody else, um, third person giving a perspective, but literally put these kids out there so they their voices could be heard and brands could better understand Gen Z. And that I think is critical. I took it to the, Char to the Carolina Panthers. And their head of social and digital used to work for me, Amy Keene, and she is one of the most creative people you could ever imagine. And I said, you know, there was something about Gen Z punts on the NFL, an article that I read somewhere. And I said, Amy, we're going to, if, if you allow it, we're going to bring 30 kids right into the Panthers stadium. And we're going to do a focus group with them on sports and entertainment and where it is in their lives. And, and so there are, there are brands who get it yeah. and jump on it. And, uh, and they're the ones that really excite me because they're not, they're bold enough 
and they're not blind to the way we always did it. And we'll literally realize that the world has changed around sports and around brands and around us. And if we don't evolve with them, if we don't future-proof our organizations by understanding Gen Z and Gen A and appealing to them in ways that make a difference to them, then you know we're goners, quite frankly. This this is why I wanted to have this conversation because uh, you know we're, higher ed's coming out of the most recent crisis, which is COVID, but we've got another more nebulous crisis, which is the demographic shift of, of uh, high school students graduating the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic and Upper Midwest. So there's fewer high school students graduating in those parts of the country and more in the South where you are in the Southwest, that type of thing. So colleges and universities will have to shift their marketing strategies. And that combined with the rumored short attention span, more visual learning, the interactive environment, I really could see this, this uh, coaches and athletic administrators wanting to understand what do I need to do today to start to recruit? Because literally some schools are offering scholarship to eighth graders. So we're talking right in the middle of, of Gen Z. So what recommendations would you have for people who are already starting to think about this? All right. The first thing is forget about the shorter attention spans. Okay. Because they can put more into 10 seconds in terms of understanding and, and depth of understanding and consumption than we ever thought of putting into 10 seconds. Good so point. they're they're technically they have shorter attention spans, but they can do more with those short attention spans than, than we have traditionally been able to do. So you need to understand that they're more inclusive, they're more um they're they're the most educated in many ways, generation ever, and they don't believe, and this is based on our research of thousands of, of Gen Z, they don't believe that the traditional form of education is the only way they can learn. They can learn anything off of YouTube. They can, you know, they, where I grew up and I had um, Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, in my father's office. And when I needed to learn something, I went in and it gave me this little definition of, you know, of X, Y, and Z. Well, now uh, when Gen Z wants to know and understand something, they'll Google it or they'll go to YouTube and it won't give them one angle. It will give them literally an expansive array of ideas around that concept. So they, they learn it in a very different way and in a much broader sense as well. So, so educators uh, need to literally think about, um, you know, where they're getting their kids, how they're getting their kids. They learn in a different way. They learn in an interactive manner, not, you, you can't just lecture to them or, or do, a, you know, a PowerPoint on a, on a Zoom meeting and expect them to consume the information because, Frankly, they've seen everything over the last, you know, five, 10 years in terms of creativity, and it changes by the minute. So what was great is mediocre today. So you've got to jump way over, um, you know, the next steps in, in creativity and innovation to be able to reach these kids because you've dulled their senses already by, by, all that they've seen and experienced. 
Yeah, so um, this example of putting Dawn Staley and Aaliyah Boston mm -hmm. in your room is, is just a phenomenal example. Um, would admissions officers be able to do this, to do a virtual visit in a home, to visit with the family and that type of thing? Or would uh, college counselors be able to do something like this? What, what kind Anybody of can okay. do this. Now, yeah. right now, there's a price factor. Okay. Uh, you know, for a hologram like the PSA that we're going to put out there called Score the Shot with Dawn and Aaliyah um, about COVID vaccinations, um, it's about $20,000 for, for a one minute finished product. And then you've got to host it and pay for distribution costs and stuff like that. So um, could, could admissions office do it? Without a question of a doubt. Um, is there a cost barrier to it right now in, in that manner? Probably for most, not for all, but for most. But like I, I'm consuming everything about the metaverse right now. And think about the metaverse as the convergence of physical being, real life, you know, this world and, and the internet. So there's you and there's me sitting here, our physical beings. And then we've got ourselves, our, our, our social um, presence on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on, you know, on, on TikTok, wherever it may be. That's still us. It's just another angle on us and, and it exposes us and our thinking to people elsewhere. So the metaverse is like if the if Amazon and Facebook were web 2.0 and very centralized. The metaverse web 3.0 has decentralized everything. So there is a, um, so that there are so many different angles. It's like saying, all right, I used to have ABC, CBS, and NBC. Now I've got, you know, 570 different channels that I have available. Well, basically that's it. But I'm going to go back to, if a university, if a college, if an if it, an entity wants to future-proof itself, you have to be in the metaverse now. And because if you wait too long, then you won't be able to catch up, quite frankly. I can easily see, you know, high-level football and basketball programs, like within the next six months, taking advantage of this. Like, how do we get this? Okay, and you're saying it's $20,000 plus to get out the door. They're gonna get a donor to write that check. Without a doubt. Sponsorship a doubt. is definitely yeah. viable. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I'm looking, as you know, I've worked with Peyton Manning and Eli for 25 years. And their Monday Night Football alternative show is a hoot. <laughs> and, um, and it's being touted by, by critics as, you know, the new NFL, the new way to broadcast football because it's so different and it's so human. It's so down to earth. It's not, you know, the experts telling you. It's, you know, two brothers talking about something that they love that they know a whole lot about and there, so I, I can foresee a sponsor saying, I want to take Peyton and Eli and put them right in somebody's living room to say, 
come watch Monday Night Football with us, you know. Um, I, I'm looking at, you know, whether it's Alabama or, or it's South Carolina, you know, literally, I see the women's final four. <laughs> I'm seeing the new March Madness yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, as an opportunity for brands to literally now get behind women's basketball in the most creative ways and leapfrog everything else that's been done there before. And everybody wins. So I don't even need to ask you about the impact on names, image, and likenesses. Oh my gosh. <laughs> NIL, I've been, I've been studying and, and working with Game Plan and some others on NIL for, for probably a year now. And uh, let, me, let me put it this way, Karen. Um, when Mac Brown became the coach of the Longhorns, he had been a friend of mine and a client for a few years. And so he brought me with him to Texas. And that first season, for Christmas, I gave him an iPod. And it was news all over everywhere. I'm like, <laughs> you need to understand what your players are listening to yeah, yeah. Um, in the locker room and put those that playlist on his iPod. And it was news all over. What's wrong with this coach, you know, listening on an iPod, you know, in, invading their space? I remember several years after that, literally going to teach social media to um, at Michigan State with the Michigan State men's basketball program and Tom Izzo having his entire staff in the room, not just the players, but his entire staff and looking at me and saying, Kathleen, convince me, tell me why I should let my players be on Twitter. And I remember telling him, Tom, they're going to be there whether you like it or not. And you're educators, so you need to educate them on what best practices are. Yeah. I remember, um, I've written speeches for Peyton for 25 years. And um, after he decided to go pro, I mean, I decided to stay one more year at Tennessee. I asked David Cutcliffe, now at Duke, I said, who, I said, David, what makes him as good as he is? And Cut said to me, Kathleen, he sees things on the field that nobody else sees. So when I was writing, and each year as I write a primary speech for him to give to audiences all over the, the country and the world, I sit down and I say, all right, when, what I noticed, what did you notice that was valuable? What did you notice that was, um, would move you towards your goal and, um, and that nobody else noticed? And I, so every year I'd, I'd, I'd start, you know, based on last year, what did you notice that was different, valuable, and would move you towards your goal? And one year, probably four years into the NFL, maybe five, he said, Kathleen, you're not going to believe this, but our rookie, who we just drafted number one, came in and asked me for my autograph. And, and I can't have one of my teammates asking me for my autograph and putting me on a pedestal. They're my teammate. It was for them, not for somebody else. And the, and, and the rookie said that he had watched Peyton on ESPN Classic when he was at Tennessee and the rookie was only in eighth grade. And I said, so what did you learn that was new, that was valuable and would move you towards your goal? And he said, Kathleen, I learned that I was leading a different generation and I had to do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. it doesn't matter whether it's a coach, 
a player, a business professional, a professor, who it is, the world has changed around us and we need to at least be one step ahead. We need to at least know, we need to smell what's next, if nothing else. I think that's a really important point. And higher education is under tremendous pressure right now to reinvent itself for a whole host of reasons, not the least of which is what you talked about, but also the cost, right? The cost of higher education, student debt is a very big issue for parents and state legislators and things like that. So there'll be some schools that will say, we can't afford to do that. It's just too expensive for us. Give them the value proposition of why they can't afford not to do it. I would say the biggest thing is if you're doing things the way you always did it, you're not going to get any, there's not going to be any different result and you need different results right now. And if you need to appeal to, which every university does, um, young donors, young um, young students, et cetera, to, to get them to choose you, not to be push there, but to choose you so that you you build their loyalty forever and they become evangelists on, on your behalf, then you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to, you're going to have to elevate your game. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to move it up. And I just saw yesterday, there's a, a company that just raised a million dollars uh, in a round B funding. It's called Party Space. And it's all about the metaverse. And the metaverse is about community. It's not, you know, it started with gaming. Now, this will blow your mind, probably. Um, So e-gaming, there's more money in e-gaming today than the entire North American sports industry and the entire global movie industry combined. That doesn't blow your mind and say yeah. you got to do things in a different way. I don't know yeah. what does. Right. And, right. and in working with my clients over the years, I, 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 I call it a fan spectrum. I'm like, brands spent all the resources trying to, trying to keep the avid fan. All right. So, cause they, cause everybody knows based on studies that it's cheaper to keep somebody you already have than to build a new customer, et cetera. But, but I'm five generations Notre Dame and there are people literally dying in the stands because they've been Notre Dame fans all their life. And they're now 94 years old and they're sitting in the stands and they're happy to die there because they love Notre Dame so much. Every brand will grow out of their fan base if they stick with the avid fans. So if you see this spectrum, future fan, casual fan, avid fan, and you realign your resources so that you are intentionally and in a very different way, cultivating future fans, casual fans with a connection, but but not a whole buy-in to you and move them along to build them into advocates and evangelists, then you're going to be using your resources to build for the future, not just um, to hold on to the past. Last question. We're starting to hear this about this term called NFTs. National, ah, uh, love them. Tokens. Yeah, right. So help our listeners understand what an NFT is and maybe why it's so important. All right. NFTs are called 
are, are really non-fungible tokens, which to most people would mean nothing. But think of it this way. Um, when my kids were young, they would save up their allowance or money that they made or got as gifts to buy the newest pair of Air Jordans, let's say. Now kids are saving up their, their money to buy Robux, to buy these. Robux, in-game Roblox is an enormous metaverse. It's a game to a lot of people or multiple games where young people co-create the, the world they want to play in, live in, etc. So NFTs are non-fungible tokens. It's, it's the, ro the Robux. So think of it this way. You can buy NFTs in the metaverse um, that, well, this is my dream. Monopoly, we all know Monopoly and there's Park Place and there's this, that, and the other thing. Right, right. Well, there's a real estate, there's a game called Upland in the metaverse that literally instead of Park Place, every place they've got is aligned with a physical address. So they've mapped New York, they've mapped Chicago, they've mapped San Francisco, um, et cetera. And you can buy, uh, you can buy a, a iconic place in New York City or Chicago or San Francisco in the metaverse for in 15 seconds, they sold in the metaverse. Um, the Rockefeller Center for $40,000, $40,000. You can buy in, within can, the game of Upland. You're owning these yes. stuff within the game of Upland. And how, how, why, why is that valuable? Why is that good? Because you can sell it, you can sponsor it. And those that license it will get in perpetuity royalties on that metaverse location. So envision this, Notre Dame. I bleed green, I, I get it, but Ole Miss, the Grove, Notre Dame, Touchdown Jesus, the stadium, the play like a champion, you know, in the Tuttle, that they, people would pay huge dollars to own that in the metaverse. And Notre Dame literally can create a metaverse version of monopoly and in perpetuity, make money because you can literally sell it, you can enhance it, you can sell sponsorship in it, you can develop the properties, all of it. Now, I know this sounds weird. I mean, there are people who wouldn't dare touch an NFT because they don't understand it. And I get that. But my net, my son-in-law is Jason Seahorn, the former star of the New York Giants and of USC. He has one of the 10 most iconic plays in NFL history. And it kept the Eagles, sorry about that, from going to the Super Bowl. No, no. Uh, <laughs> so you take that, that play that is iconic and you create an NFT of that play, right. people are going to want it. And, and Jason, who, you know, if somebody mentions it, they mention it. He's, he's not all about living in the past. Um, but if he can cultivate that now and make that 
make money from that to, you know, for his children? Why not? So this is, real, this is real cash changing hands. Oh, yeah. It's not this just Bitcoin. Bitcoin or you can do it in Bitcoin. Okay. But, you, but for instance, on Upland and, and in other environments, you can do it with real cash. Real okay. cash. Okay. So well, sports entities a- need to look at their iconic moments oh, and locations and not just create a digital art piece from it, but make it functional. So with an NFT and with blockchain, and think about this, you can sell tickets, you can, for a little bit more, sell the parking space with the ticket digitally, sell the food that goes with it, the merchandise from the bookstore, all with one NFT. And and this this is all in the game of Upland. What's the it's stop? not just in Upland, it's anywhere. I mean, anywhere. You can, yeah. I mean, okay. I went to the, the Notre Dame Purdue game and it was the second game that was totally cashless. Now you gotta be ready for that big move into the future. So I love the idea, except this most 70 year olds wouldn't know how to download their ticket onto their phone and might not even have a smartphone to be able to take it to the gate to say, here's the QR code, here's the ticket that they can do. So they have problems with their older fan bases in dealing with that. Um, You can't buy food with that unless you do it digitally, everything else. Well, but then I go into the stadium and I'm like, I'm great with all this. I know how to do this, but they're telling everybody, development's telling everybody, don't wait until Saturday to download your ticket or your parking because the 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 bandwidth in the in on campus is not going to be able to take all that data. Yeah. So you're going to be stuck. So I go into the stadium and I, there's a plan. I'm all excited about it. I want to share it, which is what Notre Dame would want to happen. Yes. But there's not enough bandwidth in the stadium for me to even put out a picture, much less a video. And this is so, why the, the NFL has struck a partnership with Verizon 5G to be able absolutely. to create those kinds of moments in the stadiums, which I firmly believe will, will move to the college space as well. Kathleen, we're going to have to stop it there. I, I mean, I could talk with you all day about this stuff, but I think you have really given the listeners a look into the future. And I'm hoping that they will react um, swiftly. Uh, to try to adjust to this generation that is literally, what, what, what are we talking about, Gen Z? What's the age range? Um, anybody born after 1995. Okay. So the old, the oldest um, Gen Z is probably about 24 right now. The youngest, okay. maybe seven or eight you know, so years they're, old. They're sitting, in, they're sitting in our classrooms right now. They're sitting in our classrooms. We want them to be donors. We want them to be engaged. And we've got to think about new ways to do it. Kathleen Hessert, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. Congratulations on the very innovative uh, AR relationship with Dawn Staley and Aaliyah Boston. I can't wait to see it. And uh, I'm hopeful that um, it will lead to a lot of really cool ideas. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Karen. Thank you. And thanks to Aaliyah in South Carolina and, and Dawn for being so bold because they're innovative and it takes that kind of innovation to win today. Absolutely.